you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 5, 5 through 7. As you turn, I want to give a huge shout out to Chris and Robert Farmer, who put all that together yesterday with the scavenger hunt. I'm sorry, uh, not yesterday, the day before. And uh, just so much fun and uh, a good way for us to get to know each other a little bit better and uh, just enjoy each other's fellowship and company. Had the abortion awareness dinner last night and some great information there and um, good work going on there. If you missed it, I'm sorry. Uh, it was awesome uh, to see what God is doing and um, just to be a part of that. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. I want to start back in verse 1 just to kind of pick up a little context and then we'll We'll roll on. If you would stand to your feet, please. Hebrews 5, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with, with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of of Melchizedek. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So today's passage is moving from a description of the Aaronic priesthood of the Old Testament system, the Old Testament nation of Israel in which God had set forth the, the method uh, by which he would uh, select who the priest was to be, the requirements and the stipulations that had to be met by them in order to be a high priest, which uh, a high priest is simply one who would stand in uh, between God and men and offer up sacrifices, offer up gifts on behalf of men to appease God who is perfect and who is just and who uh, is, it is necessary to appease his wrath that abides against all sin and ungodliness. That they were to offer uh, those things that would appease God. And we touched on really quickly that the Aaronic priesthood, those priests that would come from the tribe of Levi through the line of Aaron, were merely types and shadows of Christ, who is the high priest, uh, appointed not by law, but according to his sonship. We talked about that a good bit two weeks ago, so I won't rehash that. You can go back and read it. We talked about all of these different aspects of the priesthood as it existed in the nation of Israel, according to the Bible, according to God's word. And we set apart and we set out some things that we learned from the Old Testament priestly system. And we showed how Jesus Christ not only meets those requirements, but that he exceeds them and is the fulfillment of that to which those things pointed. Everything that a high priest was supposed to be, that they failed to be, Jesus Christ is. The priesthood, the sacrifices the temple the tabernacle the the feast days the celebrations all of it was pointing to who Jesus Christ would be and they 
end and find all of their fulfillment in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we transition from what God had put into place to point to Jesus to, dis to discussing and talking about the substance of all of those shadows and the the substance or the reality to all of those types namely Jesus Christ and we'll learn a few things today about the Lord Jesus Christ and about his priesthood and how he is the mediator between men and God in the whole sense of what it means to be a mediator we know that those priests of old could not actually cleanse uh, from sin the blood of bulls and goats it, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away any sins it's impossible for those earthly, merely earthly sacrifices to actually cleanse and take away sins and to cleanse the conscience because they were merely types and they were not like types. They were not human beings, but they were animals. They were bulls and goats, lambs. But Jesus took on human flesh. He became one of us. He dwelt among us. He was the perfect human being who was sacrificed for the sins of men. He was the God-man. So let's pick it up in verse 5, and let's talk about Jesus Christ, and let's lift him up and exalt him today in all of his glory. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The first difference that we see between Jesus Christ and the Aaronic priesthood is that while the Aaronic priests, those who descended from the line of Aaron and from, uh, were appointed through the tribe of Levi, is that while they were appointed outside of the Trinity, outside of the family of God, that Jesus Christ is appointed from within the Trinity, from within the family of God. You see, Christ, like the high priest, could not be self-appointed. Jesus Christ could not appoint himself. Why? Because though Jesus Christ is God, Jesus Christ took on human flesh. And he existed as the mediator between God and man as the man, Jesus Christ, that is necessary for you to grasp. In order for God to atone for the sins of men and appease God, he had to become a man. And it was the man, Christ Jesus, who was the high priest to intercede between God and man. That's why Jesus Christ is the only way. I have to be honest with you here for a moment. I am somewhat weary. I am weary of play in church I'm weary of myself and being surrounded by so many people who claim the name of Christ and they refuse to be used by the King of Kings to stand firm for what God has called us to stand firm on I am not, I am not here for you. I love you. I want you to grow. My heart longs for you. But as I preach, as I do what God has called me to do, I do not care what you think. Unless you've got a verse. I am under the authority of God and under the authority of Scripture. You are not my children. You are God's children if you know God. You are my brother and my sister 
It is not my job to coddle you. It is not my job to tiptoe around you. It is not my job to baby all of my sermons and my speech because this one or that one might get offended. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But I exist to preach the word of God and to do God's work. And whether you're here or whether you're not, I know that this is not what church leaders are supposed to say. I know everybody's wanting to build a thousand-member church. I can't tell you how much I could care less about how many people are here. I don't mean that I desire to run people off. I don't. I don't mean that I wouldn't love it if there were a thousand people here. That would be awesome. But I really, I don't see the big amazing thing about having a thousand people here and 900 could care, really care less about Jesus. I am not an entertainer. And if you want to get in the daggum ditch with me and do work, then let's go. If you want to stand up on the edge of the ditch and complain about how I'm digging, then just go on home. I don't need that. The, the task at hand is enough. I don't need you slowing each other down, and I don't need you slowing me down. And I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I just said it. And I'll tell you why that God has shown me this, and it's in this text. Because it's time to stop playing. This gathering, this church, this group of ambassadors of God are to be on fire, running with their hair in the wind, Toward the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Walking in the power of the spirit of the living God. Calling the sinners and the unrepentant to repentance. And being used by God to build the kingdom. And to be a force on this earth to be reckoned with. That the enemy is terrified of. The power of God abides within you if you truly believe. And you are called to turn the world upside down, rescuing those who need to be rescued. But we are so busy. Well, I don't like the way that he talked to me. Can you believe he said that? Well, I don't do, get to do this in the church. Look what he gets to do. How did he get to do that? I can't believe that you painted the wall that color. I don't understand it. You preached too deep. You preached too long. You don't preach like this one. You don't preach like that one. You, stay, you say hard stuff. You spend too much time in the Bible. You, mean, you need to be more funny. You know, ah, I don't feel good. Can you please go to another church? Do you know, do you know how many churches there are in this area? Do you know? I guarantee you, you can find one that will do whatever you want them to do. But in this church, we will do what God wants us to do. I'm not saying that just... Because of me. I'm saying that for all of you. 
who are chasing after the Lord. And there's somebody in your ear saying, well, you can't get any hands. I can't believe you said that. Are you really going to be here right now? Listen, if you want to complain, com some complaints are absolutely legit. I'm going to set this rule from the stage. You want to complain? You want to enter in a complaint? Perfect. You are required to bring a verse with your complaint. Is that fair enough? Bring the complaints. That's fine. Bring a verse and we'll talk about it. Bring a verse and we'll talk about it. Because we are not here to tiptoe around your feelings. Okay? And if that's hard, then I'll just deal with my wife who's coming at me when we get home. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad word. I don't think that's a bad message. Do you think it might be the enemy whispering in your ear? Do you think? Can you believe that they got more time for announcements than you did? Do you really believe that that's from God? You say, are you just whining right now? Yeah, I am, but I got verses, and we're about to talk about them. <laughs> and I don't whine a ton, so just leave me alone. Here we go. This is why I let out with that. And I really struggled with whether I was going to say what I just said or not. But now that I've said it, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad. Let me point out why. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So many of us, myself included, we are all the time exalting ourselves to the, to the place of prominence, and then we fall apart and we crumble when it's not our way. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, the power of God come in the flesh. The one who holds, holds life and death in the palm of his hands. He lived his life waiting for God to make known who he was. Not even Jesus Christ looked at the one whom he was in submission to and said, well, are you not going to recognize my glory? You know, 33 years, 33 years before Jesus Christ was recognized as the son of the living God officially. 30 years, I'm sorry. The dove descended out of heaven, rested upon him. A voice from heaven calls out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased Listen to him. Vindication, appointment, acknowledgement, designation. This is the one. Listen to him. It had been prophesied. It had been spoken of. But in that moment, there he is. We so often want to appoint ourselves. We so often feel entitled and listen this whole world this entire culture is is satanic every part of it you think i just i'm just talking about how they murder babies in the womb right yeah that's that's hopefully we can all in here say yeah it's evil to rip the arms off of an innocent child you know duh but how about the fact that the culture does everything it can to convince you that extended adolescence is absolutely normal and as a parent you are wrong if you do not let your teenage child experience the world because that's the rite of passage. That's satanic. Don't deny them the party years in college. Everybody needs that time. That's satanic. It's the whole show, dude. I, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. It has, it has convinced us 
It has convinced us, the, the culture. It has implanted demonic, evil, culturally unbiblical beliefs into your mind that you have subscribed to and you may not even know it and that is this is that there are many things you're entitled to in this world that you deserve it you deserve it and God loves you and you're you're a child of God no matter what all people are children of God God's a friend to all people I had a conversation with a man yesterday that's what he told me he had been blinded by the by the lies of the enemy I won't make you raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you in here think that every, every human being is a friend of God. Every human being is a child of God. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, you were given the right. You were given the right to become children of God. The Bible tells us that those who make themselves a friend of this world makes themselves an enemy to God. The Bible tells us that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world was already condemned because it had not believed in the Son of the living God. The wrath of God abides on all who do not bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what human beings are entitled to and what they deserve? Hell. That's it. That's it. The wrath of God. And while on this earth, you know what any of us are entitled to? Nada. Jesus Christ didn't appoint himself. He was appointed by the Father in heaven, who he had submitted his whole life to. I want you to think about this, and I need to move on. I want you to think about this. If there was any human being that had ever existed on the face of the earth that was entitled to life and to good things and to blessing, it was the man, Christ Jesus. He had never committed sin. He had never committed crime. He had never done anything wrong, and yet... He suffered like no one had ever suffered. And Isaiah tells us that as he was led away to slaughter, he opened not his mouth to give defense. But you, me, better give me what I deserve or I'm going to another church. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Don't say that, preacher. That's a tither. Well, my God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills and a thousand Cadillacs and a thousand garages. And there ain't nothing you can take that God won't supply. And I'm not trying to tell you to leave. I'm not. But if that offends you, and if you're going to tuck... Put, take your ball and go home, then obviously you were never a part of this to begin with. They went out from us because they were not of us. Now, why do I say that? What's the, what's the positive? Because that seems very negative. Preacher, you're, people don't say that. Well, the positive is, is that what I hope would happen through the conviction of the Holy Spirit is that some of us, myself included, many times, I, you see, I could just come and sit right there and preach from down there. If it's my word, it has nothing. Just dismiss it, go home, and talk about how stupid the preacher was today. Fine. But it's, if it's the word of the living God, then you and I together are underneath this word. And here's the goal. Here's what the Lord laid on my heart, is that I hope you won't leave. But I hope that you and I will both come under great conviction that we have been so whiny and so petty and so silly that we have taken attention off of Christ who bled and died for the redemption of the lost. And we have said, look at me, look at me, stop looking at Christ and look at me. Don't you see that I'm offended because the music's too loud? I'm leaving. 
telling you practically. That happens. Not only do I have the weight, because I love every one of you, and, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to make light of it. Then my heart hurts. Because my brother, my sister is going to leave for whatever reason. I don't care how silly it is. It's still my heart hurts. You see, you know what I do? I take time. I take energy. I'm trying to make phone calls. I'm talking to the sound team. I'm talking to the greeting team. I'm talking to the whatever team. I'm talking to this team. I'm talking to this person. I'm saying, can you go? Can you talk to them? Can you turn the music down? I don't want my brother and my sister to leave. We need to take out all the stumbling blocks. I think there's room for that too. Because we don't need to be unnecessarily offensive, do we? The gospel is offensive enough. Or I'm calling Dustin or Robert or Mark. I'll say, hey, can you call so-and-so? They're offended. I think they're going to leave. And so here I have, I've spent two, three hours coddling somebody. I've got people that I have, brothers, that I've called and I've said, can you go to this person? Can you go to that person? Can you, can you see if you can settle them down? Can you see if you can find out what's wrong? Can you see if you can make it okay? Can you find out what we need to do? Because we love them. And all of that energy and all of that time and all of that effort was spent pandering to the needs of someone and don't get me wrong sometimes there's legit needs and and that's ministry you know what I'm talking about and if you're offended right now it's probably because you're always bringing silly needs sometimes there's real needs ministry and sometimes there's silly whining and complaining that we literally spend hours on that takes away from the real work of the ministry. You know, here's the crazy thing. Is that usually the people that I'm calling to go and do or I'm going to do. Those are the people that hardly complain about anything. And they're the ones who should be complaining because I'm sending them to do work like this. That is so silly that they should be going and ministering at abortion mills or in ghettos or in homeless uh, shelters and and they should be preaching the gospel but no they are going and they're spending hours of their time listening to silly complaints of people who say that they're blood-bought christians focus on the lamb of the of god who takes away the sins of the world why is because no one should treat me like this don't you know who i am Son of God was the Son of God. He didn't even appoint himself. So this is the difference. The difference is neither one of them could be self-appointed. The difference between appointing of the Aaronic priests and Christ was the nature and reality of the nature of their appointment. The Aaronic priests were appointed from outside the Trinity. Christ was appointed from within. He's the Son of God. He is of the same substance. The Aaronic priests, number two, the Aaronic priests were appointed temporarily while Christ is a priest forever. That comes out of verse 6. He says also in another place, not only is he a son, he says in another place, you are a, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Aaronic priests were temporary priests that were fallible priests that were imperfect priests that offered no true sacrifice that could take away sins but only a type that would point to the one who could take away sins and they were temporary. They couldn't do the actual work that needed to be done but all they could do was to be a signpost pointing to the one who could actually do the work. Big difference there. Big difference. You see, as we minister within the church, there are actual, literal problems that arise within the church, and they need ministry. But when all of these other petty things are coming and they're, they're taking up time, what happens is it becomes hard to distinguish what's legit and what's not. 
And so you spend time and effort and energy trying to appease someone that has no real problem, but just they're not getting enough attention. And you can, it's hard to distinguish which one is real because they are, there are so many. And this is the bottom line, is that some seek to be made much of while others need to be healed and to be ministered to so that they can then turn and make much of Christ. And you can, you can, you can use this as a Lippmann's test, if you will, as a guide. If someone has an issue, and, and listen, I've been speaking of this from a, from a church leadership to a church congregation perspective. But it, it, it exists in all realms. You can take it to the workplace. You can take it to the home. You can take it to the school and the classroom. You can take it wherever you want. Because nitpicky, whiny people exist in every realm of life. You've been one at one point. And I have too is what I mean. We've all been there, right? You can tell it this way. When you spend your time ministering to that one who needs ministering to, as it seems... Because so, sometimes it's hard to know the difference in the moment. And you minister and you love them. And God works in them. And they come out of that place into a place where they are not in constant need of ministry. But now are equipped and fulfilled by Christ to the degree that they can now do ministry. Then you have successfully been used by God to bring someone out of the pit that they might stand upon the rock of Christ and proclaim the victory to others. But then you have some that it seems as if you drag them up out of the pit, but they have roller skates on. So you drag them up one side of the mountain and they roll back down the other side. And you're like, what happened? And everything was fine as long as you were paying enough attention to them, giving, them a, uh, giving enough resources to their needs, uh, making other people uh, dance around their needs, and to make sure that everything's okay. And as long as you're a dancing monkey, then they're just fine. But the moment you say, you good? You good? You good? All right. All right. We good? You good? You're staying? Praise the Lord. Get to work. All right. I'll be right back. And then as soon as you go over here to, to, to minister somebody else, they go, I want him back. And then it's all over again. Same thing. Same thing. We see Jesus here. He does not have to continually offer the same sacrifice over and over and over and over. And over because it was never dealt with fully the first time like the Aaronic priesthood. We'll get into more of that. But you see the Aaronic priesthood, those high priests were, that were appointed from men, that were appointed from the tribes, from the line of Aaron, who were imperfect, who were types and shadows. They had to offer sacrifices over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Somebody tell me actually. Why? Anybody? Everybody kept sinning and the sacrifice didn't what? It didn't work. It didn't work. So they ministered. They ministered to overcome the effects of sin, but all of their ministry was, was spinning in place. And as soon as they said, all right, I cut the goat's throat, I took the, the blood, and I, and I threw it all over the holy place, you're like, all right, we're good. The sins have been dealt with. We're good. The sins have been dealt with. They close the curtain, they go out, and it's like, Man, the sin's not been dealt with. Right? And they have to go back over and over and over. But when Jesus Christ comes, Jesus Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. And when he goes into the high place, do you remember what happens? When he goes into the Holy of Holies that was separated from the uh, holy place by a thick curtain that was really tall, really big, really heavy. No one could enter. No one could be in the presence of God. But the high priest once a year, nobody could be in the presence of God because sin could not actually be dealt with, right? And if you're sinful and you go into that place, you're not coming out alive. Because that sin cannot be tamed by the blood of bulls and goats. That sin, that, that, the power of death cannot be appeased by haphazard, halfway offerings. It remains. If you go in beyond that curtain and you're not prepared 
and you're not cleansed, death is all you find. That's it. But when Christ goes in, when Christ goes in, he pours the blood out on the altar. That is invaluable. That is eternal, perfect, holy, righteous. So righteous that it has the power to cover all the sins in all the world of all the people that had ever even thought to sin. It covers the sin to such a degree that there's not even a need for the curtain anymore. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians that Jesus Christ, who is the high priest, takes the curtain, and this is significant, and he takes the curtain and he rips it from top to bottom because the high priest of the Aaronic priesthood existed from the earth the high priest after the order of Melchizedek comes from heaven Jesus rips from the top down the Aaronic priests were too weak and could not rip from the bottom up therefore Christ had to come now the veil has been torn in two and through the blood of Christ you walk into the heavenly the holy of holies and you dwell in the presence of God forever. There is no need for continual over and over and over and over. Jesus settles the debt once for all. The Aaronic priests were appointed from within the corrupt system. Christ was appointed from a different order altogether in a different tribe. Christ was appointed as a son of God from the order of Melchizedek. We'll get in more to Melchizedek at a later time. But suffice it, suffice it to say now that Jesus is not of this world and he's not of the system. Jesus comes from another tribe as well. Who knows what tribe Je Jesus came from? Judah. He came from the, tri the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ is altogether different. And in the same breath, he is one of us. Let's look at verse 7. This is one of the most beautiful realities. Now, I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to turn it here for from a second. Heather sent me a text. She said, don't take your frustration out on them. Too late. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't care. I, I, I have been frustrated. You know? I'm a human being, am I not? Just because I'm standing up here don't mean I, I ain't got no cape on. You know? You me tell you what frustrated me? There's a lot of stuff that frustrates me. How much time you got? You don't want to know what kind of tipped it? It's the fact that uh, we put on an abortion awareness dinner here last night. We had maybe 100 people, and I pull out of here, and there's probably 2,000. We didn't know that the farmer's market event was last night. If I'd have known that that event was last night, I would have never planned it in the same week, which is a sad reality. Why do you say you would have never planned it in the same week? Because I know the innocent dying babies ripped apart in the womb won't hold a candle to a new building in a band. It's just the truth. So here I am. Telling you what I think. I think we need to stop playing games. Put a post on Facebook this morning. Happened to pop up in my feed. A pro-abort for abortion, for murdering children in the room, womb. Puts up a post. Says, all of you who are 
anti-abortionists. The next time you get a tapeworm, you better think about it because that tapeworm is alive. And you better not kill it because it chose you as its mother. You don't want to, you want to know what that post tells me? Is that that's exactly what the left believes. And if you are pro-abortion and you're in here this morning, I don't care to offend you, not even, not a little bit. Not even a little. We can argue about it. I'm cool with that. What that post tells me is that that person just told the whole world that a human being that's in the womb is no different than a parasite tapeworm that needs to be killed, dissolved, and flushed from the system as disgusting as it is. And I'll say this, I, I don't know who was up there. I, I have no idea. Maybe some of you, I don't know. But all I know is this. Until the church and until Christians are as concerned about innocent babies being having their brains dissolved while still in their mother as they are about a new building and a band, 70 million babies murdered. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, is that, and it's not even just about abortion. It's about the fact that there's empty seats in here. And there's people parking in my yard last night to go and listen to a band that I'm sure, I don't know what band was there. I don't know who was there. It ain't about that. It ain't about that. It's about the fact that if the church would be as excited about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as they are about a new building and a band. Oh, man. Whew. We'd flip this building right upside down and just take off burning the whole world down. Anyway, let me get out of my frustration. He says, in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh. Now, watch this. I want to show you something here. That Jesus Christ in the days of his flesh was made perfect, sanctified, built up, growed up, and did what God called him to do in a way that you're not going to like. But it is the reality for me and you as well. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Loud, Okay, here we have Jesus. Perfect, sinless son of the living God with every right to anything that he desired in the moment he desired it. All of the reaping and the sowing of realities and truths you find in scripture. Jesus could have called upon them at any minute, at any minute. He had no sin in him. So if he was to call for and desire only good, he should have it immediately. He actually deserves it. Every one of us is totally depraved, wicked from our mother's womb, born in total depravity, needing a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He, on the other hand, is the only person who's ever been born completely righteous and died the same way. But it says this man, this God-man in the flesh, offered up prayers and supplications. How? With loud cries and, 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 and groaning, one version says. Loud cries and groaning with tears, pleading, pleading. Why? To him who was able to save him from death. You see, Christ saw the writing on the wall. He knew what he was here for. He knew what God had called him to. God Almighty had called him to pour out his life unto death for the gospel to go forth, for salvation to be available for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. He was called to be a sacrifice. He was called to lay it all down. He was called to be last, even though he should have been first. He was called to do the work of a servant and to shut his mouth and to go to the cross and drink the cup that none of us could drink. You see this man? You see this man? 
He, he, he drank it all. And here he is. He's still a man. He's the God man, yes. He had the spirit, yes. But he's still a man. And here he is. He sees it coming. And oh, God. God, will you save me from this? God, what is going can't, I can't bear this. It's her. It's going to hurt. He's fearful. What? What? The preacher just said Jesus was fearful. Is that true? Is it true? Was Jesus afraid? Was he fearful? Absolutely he was. Absolutely he was. Maybe not afraid of what you think he was afraid of. But he was, he, was, he was afraid. Look at the text. You read the text. It's just the Bible. If I'm wrong, tell me. Call me out on it. I'm good with that. We'll, we'll figure it out. The text. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Why was he offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears? Loud cries. God! Father! Tears. To him who was able to save him from death. Jesus Christ was afraid of death. Wait, what? Jesus Christ was afraid of death? What? There's, you know how many accounts there are of martyrs who have gladly accepted death? Being burned, about to be burned alive. And there's a record of one martyr who says, who says, add, add more fuel. Peter's about to be crucified. He says, okay, okay, cool. Awesome. But look, don't, listen, just don't crucify me right side up. I don't deserve to die like Jesus. If you're going to crucify me, just turn me upside down, okay? That's, can we do it that way? Is that, can I have at least that option? But you're telling me that Jesus Christ was pleading prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears because he was afraid of death? Well, let's, I think we might need to understand the distinctions between different types of death. It wasn't the physical death. And it's in the verse. I'm not, I'm not reading in. Listen to what it says. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, reading this version, you're not going to see it. But the literal Greek says here, and this is not a bad translation. Just maybe your mind and your modern English wouldn't pick it up. Maybe, maybe you know. The literal Greek translation at the end where it says... He was heard because of his reverence. The literal translation is apotes eulabias, meaning this. I know that's just Greek to you. But meaning this, apo is in, taste is the definite article to the Greek word uh, eulabias, which is this, in the fear of. Let me read it again with that translation. It's just a literal word for word. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because he was in the fear of God. He offered them up in the fear of God. You see, the death in that verse can only mean one thing. See, we have physical death, which is the, the physical body's ceasing to function as it should function. Your heart stops beating. Your lungs stop pumping. You're dead physically. That's one type of death. Another type of death that's just as real and even more real is the intimate relationship and oneness with God who is life. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is life. And when we are separated from God, we are dead spiritually. That's death on the ultimate level. You understand that? Does that make sense? Now, 
Why was Jesus crying out? Jesus Christ was crying out in these loud tears and and, and and in these loud cries because he saw that the Father was going to be separated from him. Even if momentarily he was going to experience the agony and and the terror of losing that intimate connection with the Father. Even if momentarily as he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He saw this coming. I believe that's why in John chapter 12, I think it is, he says, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Oh, is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this hour that I have come. Father, glorify yourself in me. But it says he was heard. He offered up these loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because he existed in the fear of God. He was in the fear of God. Wait a minute. What do you mean he was heard? See, that's how we know it was was that, that moment. That moment where he was forsaken by God. Because he wasn't heard in the other realm. We do believe he actually physically died, don't we? So he wasn't... That, that couldn't have been. Now, if he would have prayed, I think he gets what he prays for. What was he praying for? The one who could save him from death. What death? You mean God didn't answer Jesus' prayer to save him from death? He died on the cross. He died physically. You see my point? It's showing you that the death he was praying about was the forsaken nature that was necessary to, to bring about the possibility of salvation and your oneness with God to actually live every human being that's ever been born has been born dead in sin and they need to be reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit the new birth Jesus Christ experienced physical death and then he experienced a momentary separation where he truly died but how it says he was heard though. So what, what does that mean? We know that God heard his cries because did he stay dead? As my little ones say, he's alive. He's alive. You see, the fear of God was what was heard. And to finish up, and you guys can come on up. I know I've got a whole nother verse, but all of this goes together. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. The reason that Jesus Christ can offer eternal salvation is that that his perfection, his his eternality his his overarching ability to actually pay for sin was demonstrated in the fact that he was perfectly obedient in this life. He was deserving of every good and great gift that comes down from above. Yet he was he was stripped of it all, stricken, counted among the thieves and the robbers. He was, he was an outcast. He suffered the greatest shame that you could possibly imagine. Imagine this. Imagine how shameful it would be for one of you to be strung up in your front yard, stripped naked for the whole world to see. And as the people drove by, they would see you up on the cross with your genitals hanging out and exposed, hung up there for hours at a time so much so that you didn't have anywhere to go to the bathroom and so there would be a pile of feces under the cross and everybody riding by they would see you but that's not all they would stop and they would gather and it would become a public event and they would gather around and they would look and sneer at you and laugh and they would celebrate the fact that you were up on that pole with your breasts hanging out or your genitals hanging out and they would mock and they would call you names 
And the only retribution that you would have was maybe when we get close enough and you could urinate on them. You know, these are historical recorded facts. Women, when they crucified women, it was so excruciating that even the torturers could not bear to look on the face of the woman because of the, the level of pain, and she could not endure it like the man, so they started to crucify women facing the cross. The humiliation of it all, the humiliation that pe people would gather. Now I want you to take that, and I want you to think about if that was done to the President of the United States of America. Or the king or queen of England. Or someone in some high lofty position. That they're so just dignified, right? Oh, they don't even want a little mark on their suit because that's shameful. But now you strip them all down bare and you hang them up for everyone to see everything. And to laugh and to sneer. The level of shame goes up, does it not, Jake? The level of shame goes up with the level of power of the individual being shamed. That's true. Now I want you to think of the level of shame suffered and endured by the king of kings, the God of the universe who created the very tree upon which he hung. The one who at the snap of a finger could turn them all into dust, yet love held him to the cross. And as they sneered and as they jeered, he looked and he considered it joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And it was through this suffering that that verse just told us he was perfected. Now, we've already established that Jesus was already perfect. That's not what this means. What that means is that through that suffering, he's proven to be the perfect Savior of a lost and dying and imperfectly imperfect world. Do you remember that? That was... The demonstration that Christ was who he said he was and that he could offer eternal salvation because he overcame death, sin, hell, and Satan. So let's, break it, let's bring it back now to a, practical, uh, to a practical point. I know I hammered you guys a little bit this morning, but I'll tell you it's just because I've been hammering me. Do you know how often I whine? You know, do you know how often I get into my own feelings because my wife ain't done this and my wife ain't done that and my kids, man, them, them brats. Hey, let me tell you this. Let me hit my own self right between the eyes and probably you too while I do it. How about this? How about if you let your six-year-old make you unchristian because they, do, they did something that six-year-olds just naturally do, then they're not the idiot. You are. They're not the imbecile. I am. If my five-year-old goes boop-boop in the potty and while wiping gets a little boop-boop on her fingers and doesn't know what else to do with it, so she looks over at the decorative towel and just wipes the boop-boop <laughs> on the decorative towel. <laughs> and I see the shoe-shoe on the towel... What are you doing? You know you're not supposed to wipe boo boo on the towel. Them mama's good towels. Don't do that. I'm sorry, Daddy. I didn't know what to do. I had boo boo on my finger. What would you do, Daddy? The toilet paper's right there. <laughs> How many of you, your, your child's done something that children do, but in a moment of weakness, you lash out and maybe you tear that tail up or you scold them. Maybe you say a curse word or maybe you do something that, man, wish you could go back on that. Wish I could take that back. You see, we got we to gotta stop thinking this about us, guys. You know, you know, that's me too, me too. I could have just come sit down there. Man, I just know that, I just know the potential that I have. I, I mean, at least partly, or, and the potential that you have, you know, Chad? I mean, the potential that each one of you have to be used as an agent of transformation in this world. 
guess it just all came crashing down on me last night that, you know, we've been a church now for like 10 years, coming up on 10 years. And I'll tell you what I don't want. I'll tell you what I am not interested in. I, I'm just going to be honest. Can I be honest? Y'all can pray for me. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, I just cut trees down for a living. I'm just, me and you, we're just right here. I'll tell you what I have no interest, interest in. I have no interest in that whole church game where there's so many politics and this one said that and that one said this and we need to have a meeting and there needs to be a committee about that and what about the carpet, what about the chairs, what about the color, I don't like that, you know, I, well we got to make sure that Miss, Miss so-and-so is taken care of because she's a big tither, you know, she wants this carpet a certain color, you know, uh, I got, no man, that just makes my skin crawl. I'm just being honest with you. And if you want that, you're in the wrong place. Or, I mean, maybe you can come here and I have to go to another place, but I'm not about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe y'all run me off. I don't know. <laughs> I can't do that. I, I'm not. I mean, are y'all with me on that? I mean, who's with me on that? I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Now, we're going to have our issues. We're going to have, you know, I'm going to be whiny like I was today, you know, and I'm going to be a little hypocritical because the whole sermon was kind of about whining, and I was whining as I was giving the sermon about whining, you know. So y'all pray for me. I need to repent a little bit. But the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth, and that's this, is that if you're stuck in an endless cycle of continually going to whoever it is, your boss, your wife, your husband, your pastor, your whatever, and you find that you're in this continual cycle of always just having your feelings in a wad and your panties pulled all the way up in your crack and you just can't ever be satisfied and you just can't ever get nobody to do what you want to do and you just, why is everybody picking on me, you know? Maybe the problem is not everybody else. You know, there's a common denominator in problems. And I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying it might be you. <laughs> Hey, and don't get it twisted. It might be me. But I want you to think about this. What if we all just stop doing that silliness? Myself included. Because you're going to be offended. People are going to do stupid stuff. I offended a ton of y'all today, I'm sure. But I hope what you can do is you can say, you know what? Some of that stuff he said was stupid. But, man, the that, that part about this, man, we got to let's get to work. Because what if, what if, what if, folks, what if we all took on the mind of Christ? That you can offend me all you want to, man. I'm on a mission. It ain't about me. So you come at me. Whatever. Beat me down. Whatever. That's okay. The Bible says we, we glory when we're persecuted by the world. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. I don't get what I want. That's fine. God must not have wanted me to have it because I know that my God is sovereign. If he wants me to be in this place or that place or over here or over there or have this or have that, I'm going to have it. You can't stop it. Just try, right? I'll have what God wants me to have and can't nobody stop it. And I won't have what God don't want me to have no matter how hard I try to get it or you try to give it. It don't matter. You see, it's all about God. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. What's going to be is what's going to be. And me and you need to shut up and just look to him and go wherever he says that we need to go when he says we need to go. Because it ain't about me and it ain't about you. It's about him. It's about the one who paid everything that could be paid to ransom you from a debt that you could not ever, ever, ever meet the demand of. To take away the wrath of Almighty God who is up, that is upon you right now if you are not a part of the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus pays that debt. And now the life we now live, we live in Christ. We no longer look to the desires of the flesh in this world. We look to Christ. We look to Christ, not to our own selves. Lord, help me. This morning, if you've never known the, the, the salvation that comes 
from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving the gospel, I pray you would be saved. Let me just be just, I mean, since I've already offended everybody, let me just be as blunt as I possibly can, right? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are still in your sins. Your debt is still owed to a God who will collect. Nobody can stop him. It doesn't matter. He's worse than the IRS. When the day comes, he will call. And when he calls, you will answer. And all of those who are not bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and have his righteousness credited to their account so that they can actually pay for that debt, then you will pay for your own debt. And your bank account and your pockets don't go that deep. So the way that you'll pay it is to spend eternity separated from God under the fiery damnation of hell in which you will experience loneliness that you've never known darkness that you can't imagine and pain that is out of this world I promise you this you do not want to stand against God in the end because God never loses and he always wins amen we're going to have a final song I want you to stand to your feet and come to the front get on your face and praise God that you're not dead yet and if you're not alive get saved today come to life don't wait nobody's promised tomorrow don't you wait and if you need to repent come on up here with me and uh, get on your knees beside me as I repent uh, because Lord knows I've got a lot to repent of too